Africa rise and shine Africa tota Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. Our shortwave transmitter has been temporarily disabled. We will inform you as soon as our shortwave broadcast is restored. Stay tuned to Channel Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Tavisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, African Union says it's closely monitoring developments in Libya and the DRC's new president faces criticism over comments about the previous administration. In economics news, a drought expected to drag down Kenya's 2019 growth and in sports news, a Springbok Sevens forward Zane Davis to undergo shoulder surgery. But, for, but first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. The man named as Algeria's interim leader following the resignation of President Abdelaziz Bouteflika has promised free and fair elections within 90 days. Abdel Kader bin Salah says he will not take part in the polls. Demonstrators have expressed anger at his appointment, as the BBC's Alan Johnston reports. Again, protesters took to the streets of Algiers in large numbers. They started coming out within minutes of the announcement that Parliament had appointed Abdul Kader Ben Salah as an interim head of state who's meant to preside over a transition period. For the demonstrators who forced President Bouteflika to step down, Mr Ben Salah is not an acceptable replacement. They see him as very much part of the old elite that surrounded the ousted president. Sudanese police say people should unite to achieve a peaceful transition of power. They say the force has ordered its members not to target peaceful protesters. Thousands of demonstrators have been calling on President Omar al-Bashir to resign. The United Nations envoy to Libya has announced that he would only convene a national conference in the country once the conditions for success were met. This announcement seems to suggest that the conference due to start this Sunday will be postponed given the escalation of fighting in the country. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, earlier condemned the fighting. Stefan Dujaric is the Secretary General's spokesperson. The Secretary General has strongly condemned the military escalation and fighting in and around Tripoli including yesterday's aerial attack by Libyan National Army aircraft against uh, the airport in Tripoli. The Secretary General continues to urge the immediate halt of all military operations in order to de-escalate the situation and prevent an all-out conflict. 
while emphasizing that there is no military solution to the conflict in Libya. With two-thirds of the votes counted in Israel's general election, the Lukert party of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu appears to be on course for a narrow win. Both Netanyahu and his main rival Benny Gantz declared victory. After polls closed, they will require the backing of smaller parties to form a government. Addressing his supporters, Netanyahu said talks are underway with other right-wing parties. It is a night of colossal victory. Colossal. I am very moved that the people of Israel have put their trust in me again for the fifth time. A greater trust even. I intend to quickly finish the work needed in order to form a stable national government. And finally, a ship carrying 64 refugees is stranded at sea and running out of food and drinking water, while European countries refuse to let it dock. The Ellen Kurdi is a private rescue ship owned by CI, a German NGO. The group on the vessel includes 20 women, 5 children and 1 newborn baby, according to a spokesperson for the CI. The Italian leader Matteo Salvini has refused entry to the ship. Salvini has led a crackdown on illegal immigration by closing Italian ports to humanitarian vessels since his league party formed a coalition last year with the anti-establishment five-star movement. That's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. The African Union says it is closely monitoring developments in Libya where dozens of people have been killed in fighting this week, according to the World Health Organization. Rebel forces are trying to seize the capital, Tripoli, where the country's internationally recognized government is based. The SABC's Coletta Wanjohi reroutes from the AU in Addis Ababa. The African Union Commission says the current insecurity in Libya is not what it expected after its chairperson Musa Faki Muhammad visited the country at the start of the month. His spokesperson Eba Kalondo tells the SABC that Mr. Faki met the leaders of the main warring factions, General Khalifa Haftar and Prime Minister Fayez el-Siraj. She says they both at the time embraced the AU's call for dialogue. The African Union Commission remains of the view that these, these developments in Libya do not help the resolution of a crisis that is multidimensional and that has been the cause of great suffering to the Libyan people and the region in which it resides. And that only a negotiated inter-Libyan political and inclusive dialogue of all the actors can come to a durable solution. 
The United Nations estimates around 3,000 people have fled fighting around Tripoli. The AU Commission says it is concerned about the many African migrants in Libya, thousands of whom are held up in detention centers in the country. It is now more than ever important for all of the actors on the ground to assure the protection, the safety of all all civilians, especially those that already have so little protection to start with, who are the migrants who are being um, held in these detention centers, mostly women and children. Libya has had unstable government since 2011 when its leader Muammar Gaddafi was deposed and killed. The AU maintains that it will still go on with its planned conference of reconciliation for Libya in July this year. Koleto Anjohi, SABC News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Former DRC President Joseph Kabila's common front for the Congo has expressed unhappiness about the statement President Felix Tshisekedi made last week in the USA. On his visit in Washington, President Tshisekedi said he's seeking American support to help him uproot a long-time dictatorial system that has destroyed the Democratic Republic of Congo. Januel Bamweza reports from Kinshasa. The Common Front for the Congo, well known as FCC, has it difficult to understand how come President Felix Tshisekedi, who has always used the slogan People First, could call for an outside support against what he described as a dictatorial system. The country's president, Felix Tshisekedi's statement has come as a big surprise to this former president, Joseph Kabila's coalition, that has even described it as a militant statement from a head of state leading a huge country such as the Democratic Republic of Congo. The FCC believes President Tshisekedi's statement is a straight attack against a democratic heritage that entered this country in 2006 and that has brought in the very first peaceful power transfer he is now benefiting from. Jean-Marie Bulambo Kilosho is the common front for the Congo spokesperson. Le Front commun pour le Congo regrette certains propos militants. The common front for the Congo regrets some talks the head of state made during his visit seeking support from a foreign power to approve, according to him, a dictatorial system in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Meanwhile, a militant from President Felix Tshisekedi's Union for Democracy and Social Progress believes members of the Common Front for the Congo had no other choice but to be surprised. Pauline Bevon Mukunai told Channel Africa the FCC is now in trouble since its members couldn't think the United States of America's government would accept to support the current president of the DRC. According to him, Tshisekedi is doing everything for the best of the TRC people. What the president is doing is for the good of Congolese people. FCC were thinking dates. When the president Tshisekedi will be elected, he will be not supported by USA people. But they are surprising when they saw the president Tshisekedi being connected with the president of USA. That's what they are troubling. Everything that they are doing, you have to know that they will be not for him, but they have to be only against him. About everything that the president of this country is doing, even though they are speaking the bush, everything they are saying, when they have to support, they have to do like this. We can follow it. Let us put it down and let us put the ideology what our president is doing. Even though they will speak many things, so no, something like that, something like this, there is no problem. We have only to follow what our president 
is doing for Congolese people. Regarding Mr. President's statement on uprooting a dictatorial system here in the Democratic Republic of Congo, Pauline Bevon Mukunai supports and emphasizes Congolese were really under dictatorship here. Of course, yes. Kabila was a dictator man. Everything that he was doing, Kabila was a dictator. That's why the president of this country, Chilombo, said that we don't want again the dictator in our country. He refused it. And he said each and every Congolese people must know his right. If you know it, you have three months free to do everything that you want to do. But you're going to do everything that you're going to do in your country by knowing that what I'm doing is right because you are a Congolese man. That's why Joseph Kabila is thinking, ah, the guy who came here going to change everything in his country and the people going to see he's right about everything that he's going to do. They are surprising because they were thinking President Tisekedi Chilombo will follow the others. The way things seem like is to say is too young, they're gonna show him the way. They see himself is got his own areas, he's doing what he's thinking. The way things he's gonna ask them come to surround me and let us be together. What can I do and what shall he do? But unfortunately, he disappointed them. He said, No, no way, I am doing what Congress people were waiting for. President Felix Sechisekedi has spent more than two months on power, but no prime minister up to now. Most of observers believe it's a matter of misunderstanding between both former and current president says the prime minister must be appointed from the parliamentary majority which is Kabila's common front for the Congo. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. In February this year, the Zimbabwean government indicated that two laws that affect the media would be repealed soon. The revelations were made after a cabinet agreement, but media rights groups are already calling on government to speed up the process. Under the two laws enacted in 2003, journalists are randomly brutalized with the most recent being the tear gassing of a newsroom last week. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. Media rights organizations in Zimbabwe have called on the government to speedily amend punitive laws enacted in 2003. From the gazetted time, journalists in Zimbabwe have experienced a number of human rights abuses perpetrated by the security sector. The abuses are ongoing, hence a call by the Media Alliance of Zimbabwe, a grouping of all media organizations, on Tuesday for government to repeal AIPA and POSA. The two laws have been condemned as they have clauses that oppress journalists. However, in February this year, government revealed the two laws were to be amended, giving birth to four new laws, which are Zimbabwe Media Commission Bill, Data Protection Bill, Freedom of Information Bill and Cyber Security Bill. Chris Mike, a legal expert on media laws, made the call in Harare. We know that uh, in the next few months or so, bills will be presented at Parliament and members of the public will also be called upon to participate in those processes. The citizens and civil society groups have always treated government with suspicion, Chris Mike said. We are not sure at this stage whether or not the positions that we have presented to government have been infused into the current bills that government is working on. There are no signals as yet to show that government has been listening to the input of civil society. We will know in the next few weeks, once we see the first bill being presented at parliament, whether or not that consultative process has been sincere. So as we do that, we want to restate fundamental positions of uh, Mars 
as we go into the next stages of the reform process. The key highlight in the lawmaking process uh, that we should take note of is the fact that Parliament is compelled to consult with members of the public. There will be a public consultation process uh, once the bills are before Parliament. Uh, and we urge Parliament, therefore, to make sure that that consultative process with the public uh, will be genuine and sincere and that final product will reflect the specific uh, submissions by the public. Uh, ordinary members of the public who are not necessarily active in, in journalism or mass media have a, a fundamental interest in the quality of the laws that will come out of the ongoing reform process because media freedom is very deeply linked to freedom of expression. From July elections last year, Zimbabwe has been experiencing a boom in the digital media taking advantage of lack of plurality of televisions. Live coverage of events also came with the new digital approach to news coverage which has been construed as a threat by the state. Chris expressed his concerns. The media landscape has been changing <coughs> significantly due to technological changes. Our laws do not respond to the various risks and dangers that children and youths face offline and online, but particularly online in their online activities. So we wish to see laws that will enhance the opportunity for children and youths to enjoy freedom of expression and access to information, but which will also protect them from the various risks and dangers that we see in the modern communication process. Uh, so all other laws that impinge on media freedom should also go or be significantly amended. Of late, artists in the media fraternity have also been affected, getting arrested for their comments over current affairs issues, Mike said. It's no longer against journalists, but it's also against anyone who is in the creative arts. So content creators who are now using or relying on free expression to maybe comment on social events in Zimbabwe or current affairs in Zimbabwe are also now in the line of fire. And this is all promoted or enhanced by the existence of the laws that uh, were mentioned beforehand, laws like the criminal law code, laws that criminalize uh, criticism against the government or government authorities, or laws that criminalize uh, fair comment against the office of the president. On Monday, a group of journalists marched to Harare Mayor's office as well as Zimbabwe Republic Police to petition against the firing of tear gas into a newsroom in Harare last week. ZRP and Council Police had spotted 263 chart journalists filming the brutal dispersing of vendors in the capital. Harare Mayor Herbert Gomba expressed concern over the brutality. We are, we are very concerned whenever a, a resident and, and any media house is attacked. And this is precisely the reason why we have said now from beyond what has happened, we should get into it and investigate. Uh, it's primarily the investigation is an outcome of our disappointment. In Harare, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. Join world-renowned Harvard economist and corporate strategist Mark Kramer and other exciting speakers in Nairobi, Kenya at the Africa Shared Value Summit from 23 to 24 May 2019. Hear how business thought leaders and changemakers have transformed their organizations through profit with purpose. Book your ticket at africashadevaluesummit.com today. 
Channel Africa is a proud media partner of Africa Shared Value Summit and will be broadcasting live from the summit. Make sure you don't miss out on the broadcasts on the 23rd and the 24th of May 2019. Log on to www.channelafrica.co.za or Southern Africa DSTV 802 to listen. Channel Africa from an African perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 21 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Today marks exactly 26 years since the assassination of South African Communist Party leader Chris Hani. Hani was cowardly assassinated outside his home in Boxburg, east of Johannesburg. Hani's assassination almost plunged the country into racial war. The SACP will today host a wreath-laying event. To talk to us more on today's activities, we're now joined on the line by South African Communist Party spokesperson Alex Mashilo. Alex, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lulu. Thank you very much. Now, today, in 1993, Chris Honey was assassinated. How do you remember that horrible day? It was very bad. Uh, the news broke via uh, uh, radio, and of course there was uh, extreme anger from the masses of our people, and of course myself as one of them. It was very difficult. Uh, the situation nearly plunged South Africa into civil war, where it not only in the SACP, in handling the situation in a way that prevented South Africa moving into civil war, things would have not been uh, what they became after the assassination. It was extremely uh, angering, and of course uh, we achieved a transition to our democracy following the assassination as the calls for uh, the first democratic general election date to be set were intensified and supported by the masses. Now let's speak about uh, today's events to, to mark that day. Take us through them. We will be having a red lane ceremony starting at 10 o'clock this morning. There will be speakers from the government and from alliance partners. 
the SACP will be represented by its General Secretary, Dr. Pagan Zimande. The President of the Republic, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, will be speaking. And of course, from the Department of Arts and Culture, it is the Minister of, uh, it is the Minister, Natim Tetra. And from Gauteng, it is uh, the Premier, David Makura. We have uh, a representative of the Chris Hannes family who will uh, speak at the event as well as uh, a representative of the Ekruleni municipality where Kisani was given uh, the honor of the freedom of the city. Unfortunately, Kisani never tasted the fruits of democracy and freedom. Do you think that he would be proud of the SACP today and its contribution towards the building of a democratic South Africa? It is very difficult to speak for the day, but as a matter of fact, he would be proud of the achievements of the SACT and worried about lack of progress in areas where there is room for improvement. He would definitely form part of the effort to achieve the improvement, particularly intensify the struggle to complete our course of liberation and achieve the indispensable basis for an advance to socialism. Now, speaking of uh, Janusz Walusz, Chris Hani's killer, do you think that he has showed any remorse and uh, the fact that he keeps applying for parole or coming up for parole, do you think he deserves the parole? In the first place, uh, Janusz Walus and uh, the other assassin who died at Lives de Lewis never wanted to really serve their sentence. You will recall that they were sentenced uh, to capital punishment, uh, which was uh, commuted into life imprisonment as a result of the rights that were fought for by Krivani to end uh, the death penalty. Ever since their sentence was commuted to life imprisonment, they have tried every trick in the book never to save that sentence. When the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was established, they applied to the Commission for Amnesty. The Commission denied them amnesty on the basis that there was no full disclosure of the truth. They were not honest. And up to this day, nothing has come forth from them. If you really show remorse, you definitely have to participate in ensuring full disclosure of the truth. We have not received that from Clive de Blewis until he died. We are not receiving it from Janus Walus, who is still in prison and has been applying for parole year in, year out. And these applications for parole actually are causing a pain in the Krizani family because they do not have time to really try and uh, not remember what has happened. Every time they try and make time uh, to move forward, to find closure, there is this application for parole. This is a problem. This murderer has not showed any remorse. He has not been rehabilitated. One of his prison reports states that he has not changed from the fundamental reasons 
that drove him to murder Chris Haney. This is an unrepentant murderer who said that he does not regret killing Chris Haney, the communist, but killing Chris Haney, the father. As if Chris Haney, the communist, and Chris Haney, the father, were two different people. And as if any person in our society is allowed to kill another person for their political beliefs. Alex, let's leave it there for now. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. That's Alex Mashilo, spokesperson for the South African Communist Party, joining us on the line. Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature program that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective, can be heard every Wednesday at 1000 hours UCT, with repeats on Wednesday at 2000 hours, Thursday at 300 hours, and Sunday at 1300 hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa, a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective. Spotlight Africa. Today is Wednesday, April the 10th, the 1th, and with five days. Our headlines up next with Nosi Lezuma. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. 
Algerians interim leader Abdelakada Bensala promises free and fair elections within 90 days. Sudanese police say people should unite to achieve a peaceful transition of power as thousands of demonstrators call on President Omar al-Bashir to resign. And South African security forces and health services send material relief to its neighbors hit by the devastating cyclone Edaya. And Musa will give you a full bulletin at the top of the hour. With less than a month until South Africa takes to the polls, the country's University of Johannesburg Center for Social Development in Africa has released a report on the complexity and nuance of voter choices. The study, titled The 2019 Election, Socioeconomic Performance and Voter Preferences, shines a light on the profile of voters and the power of trust in President Cyril Ramaphosa in shaping voter preferences. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Professor of Politics at the University of Johannesburg, Professor Yolanda Saadi. Good morning, Prof, and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, now, Prof, briefly highlight the findings of the survey. What does the report show to be some of the factors influencing voter preference? Yes, I think one mustn't think there's only one factor. There are a range of factors that influence voter preference, and those these things are socio-economic well-being um, and democratic rights, trust and political leadership, particularly the president, party loyalty, perceptions of corruption, grant receipts, the fear of law, loss of grants, and so, and also the socio-demographic profile of our potential voters. How was this research conducted, and which demographics did uh, the, you focus on? Um, this was a national sample, so we covered 3,431 respondents. It was representative of 38 million voters. Uh, Ipsos, the public affairs marketing research company, collected the data on our behalf. And if we look at that profile of our respondents, 70% reside in urban areas, 30% in rural. Gender representation was 52% um, female, 49% male. The age was also representative, 18 to 34 years, were 49%, 41 uh, percent age between 35 and 59 and 10% over 60. And then the race was also 77% uh, respondents were black, 10% colored, 11% white, 3% Asian. And then we also look at employment, uh, half, nearly close to half were not working, uh, 22% were unemployed, or 33% were unemployed. And then most of the respondents largely fell in the lower middle income bands. In other words, about 58% uh, earned less than 80,000 rand as their, uh, 8,000 rand as their total monthly income. So it's quite representative of the population. Now, is party loyalty um, still seen as a determining factor in politics in South Africa? Well, yes, it seems that party loyalty, and that is very interesting, is closely linked, and this is in case uh, um, uh, of the ANC, is closely linked to trust in the president. Um, we did this survey in 2017, uh, and then party loyalty was not a predictor of vote, 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 
a voter choice. At that stage, only 27 26% of the respondents trusted former President Zuma. However, trust in the president now under um, Ramaphosa improved with 55% of respondents saying that they trust uh, Cyril Ramaphosa. So in this recent survey, party loyalty emerged as a predictor of voter choice. And it appears then that trust in the president may have rekindled loyalty to the party that brought freedom and democracy to South Africa. Now, talk to us about the issues such as their view on the expropriation of land without compensation, um, social grants and corruption. And how is it likely to influence voter behavior? Well, that's very interesting. We asked the the land question, we asked um, our respondents, what is more important to them, the expropriation of land without compensation or expropriation of land with compensation? And this survey, I must just say, was conducted in November and December after the countrywide land hearings and then Parliament's subsequent adoption of the uh, Joint Constitutional Review Committee's uh, report in favour of the amendment of uh, Section 25 of the Constitution to make it possible for the state to expropriate land without compensation. But the results are very interesting because this survey was held right in that time. Close to half of the respondents um, support land expropriation with compensation, while only a third of the respondents uh, support land expropriation without compensation. While only 20, uh, while 20% said that they did not know. Um, so, however, land was not one of the issues that influenced uh, that influenced voter behaviour. And if we look at social grants, um, receiving a social grant does not influence voting behaviour. However, the fear of a loss of a grant if one votes for another party is a significant predictor. And then we also found that female grant recipients are more likely to choose the ANC, um, 74% versus 67% of non-recipients. And then if we look at corruption, concerns about corruption remain really utmost in the minds of our voters. Seven out of ten potential voters believe that corruption increased in the past year, and this remains uh, really a significant predictor of voter preference, because those who think that corruption increased between 2017 and 2018 are more likely to vote for an opposition party. Now, overall, what can you conclude from the results of this research, and what indication does it give you as we're heading to the polls? Well, we can conclude that the predictors then of voting behaviour in this election have changed rather significantly over the last, over the past year. Trust in President uh, Ramaphosa, coupled with a renewed support for the Party of Liberation, then appears to be a significant driver of voter choice for the ANC versus the opposition as the election then draws closer. And then furthermore, those who believe that corruption has increased, those who are wealthier and those who have higher levels of education are more likely to prefer an opposition party. And then also um, race also plays a role. Um, uh, 
black African voters are more likely to vote for the ANC than, for example, Indians, coloreds, and whites. But this has also uh, uh, there's also an interesting um, uh, result here because in the previous survey when uh, President Zuma was still in power, Indians were 16 times, for example, less likely to vote for the ANC, and now they are only six times less, less likely to vote for the ANC. So these are all the sort of predictors um, that we can have a look at that will influence voting behavior in um, in the coming election. And we are going to do this survey again after the election towards the end of the year. So it will be very interesting to see what the results are and what people voted, you know, how they voted and, and what um, motivated to, to vote them for the party. So that will also be very interesting. Well, it's 27 days to go until elections. May the 8th is just around the corner. Prof, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Professor Yolanda Sadi, Professor of Politics at the University of Johannesburg, joining us on the line. The South African Independent Electoral Commission has dismissed the over 50 objections against candidates of nine political parties and upheld the PAC objection against its candidate, Alton Mpeti. The electoral body says Mpeti's was disqualified for having a criminal conviction of 18 months without the option of a fine. This relates to the killing of a Swaziland national some years ago. He was sentenced for seven years, but only served two years as the other five years were suspended. Ndebo Mukobo has more. The IEC has deliberated and adjudicated on at least 52 objections against candidates from 10 political parties, including the ANC, the DA, the EFF, the PAC and the BLF, among others. And at the end, 51 objections were dismissed and one appealed, as IEC Commissioner Mosotu Mwepa explains. After deliberating, the Commission resolved to uphold one objection by the PAC against its own candidate, Mr. Sarupani Alten Senyani Mpeti. This candidate was sentenced on 7 June 2016 to 18 months imprisonment without the option of a fine. This disqualifies him from holding elected office to the National Assembly or provincial legislature. And on the 51 dismissed objections, Mwepa said most of them were based on allegations or current investigations whose evidence has not yet been tested in a court of law. In terms of section 47 and 106 of the constitution, every citizen who is qualified to vote for the National Assembly and or provincial legislature is eligible to stand except if one, they are unrehabilitated insolvents, two, anyone declared to be of unsound mind by a court of the republic and three anyone who is convicted of an offense and sentenced to more than 12 months imprisonment without the option of a fine either in south africa or outside of the country the commission dismissed all other objections for failing to meet the constitutional and statutory criteria the majority of these objections related to unproven allegations but he however said those who are aggrieved by their findings and wishing to appeal can do this with the electoral court before the end of business on Thursday. We have written to objectors and the political parties concerned to advise them of the outcome of this process. Any objector, party or candidate aggrieved by the uh, decision of the commission has until 11 April 2019 
to appeal this decision of the commission to the electoral court. Meanwhile, the IEC also used the occasion to allow political parties in Houghton to sign the Electoral Code of Conduct. IEC Vice Chairperson Janet Lafas party leaders to be ambassadors of free and fair elections. It is a code that also ensures that those parties who are making this pledge today actively be the ambassadors for free and fair elections, not just in words but in deeds as well, and in the deeds that they call upon their supporters to support. Gauteng has the highest number of political parties with 36 candidates vying for the Gauteng legislature. The provincial IEC acting chairperson Tabuma Semola says measures are in place to deliver credible elections. It is important to note that 1,218 candidates will be contesting for the 73 seats in our legislature in Gauteng. There is 14 more political parties that are contesting compared to the general elections in 2014. You'll also note that the law allows um, two party agents per voting station. Given the size of most of our voting stations, this might result in about four party agents in each voting station. We request that party agents may have to take turns to observe all processes due to the constraints of space at our voting stations. And at the end, all political parties pledge to abide by the rules of the game but ask the IEC to work hard to secure ballot boxes with all of them hoping to preside over the next state of the province address after the May elections. I am Tebumokobi in Johannesburg. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhuku. Good morning. You're listening to Channel Africa from an African perspective. The Kenyan government has been advised to outsource the management of the money it's set to start earning with the commencement of commercial production of oil. Analysts say the management of the planned sovereign wealth fund by independent fund managers would enhance professionalism while divorcing it from politics of the day. According to the World Bank's latest outlook for Kenya, the ongoing drought conditions in the East African nation is likely to impact Kenya's economic growth this year. The bank projects a growth at 5.7%, down from 5.8% last year. Kenya's economy is heavily dependent on agricultural incomes and accounts for at least 33% of the country's gross domestic product. Sarah Kimani reports from the capital Nairobi. Kenya's economy managed to wither the post-election jitters in 2018 to register a 5.8% growth. This year, however, the long-range season, which runs from March to May, is yet to start, and East Africa's biggest economy is feeling the heat. Already, 1.1 million people are in need of food aid. The country's agriculture-dependent economy is likely to be dragged down, according to the World Bank's senior economist, Peter Chacha. Custodians of brand Botswana have implored the nation to move out of its comfort zone and aggressively market the country to the global village. Brand Botswana says that the country is unknown to the world over, making it hard for Botswana to attract the desired foreign direct investment. Brand specialists say citizens should remember that they are an extension of the brand called Botswana, hence the need to communicate with one voice on issues of national interest. 
Fitch Ratings Agency has affirmed as a power utility company of Namibia, Nempower, to double B+, also retaining its negative outlook. The rating reflects the standalone credit profile of Nempower's monopolistic position in energy trading and transmission in Namibia, with the cost-reflective tariff framework and strong financial profile. Fitch further expects Nempower to remain reliant on imported electricity as opposed to its own generation for the next four years. Egypt's annual urban consumer price inflation eased to 14.2% in March from 14.4% in February. The country has implemented a series of tough austerity measures to help meet the terms of a 12 billion US dollar IMF loan program it signed in late 2016. The US dollar is trading at 358.16 Nigerian Naira. It's at 10.40 Botswana Pula, 100 Kenyan shilling 13 cents and 12.1 Zambian guacha. In BRICS currencies, 1 US dollar will cost you 3.84 Brazilian roll, 64.81 Russian ruble, 69.44 Indian rupee, 6.71 Chinese yuan and 14.7 to the South African rand. The US dollar is trading at 76 pence to the British pound, 88 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at 1,302 dollars, platinum 890 dollars pound. The price of Brent crude oil is at $70.60 a barrel. It's Channel Africa from an African perspective. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update, let's kick off with football news where Egyptian football side Al-Akhli are reportedly using underhand tactics by changing the venue of Saturday's CAF Champions League second league quarterfinal tie against Mamelodi Sundowns. The match was initially scheduled to be played at the Egyptian Army Stadium in Suez, but has now been switched to the El Arab Stadium in Alexandria. The El Arab Stadium is 244 kilometers away from Cairo, which contravenes CAF regulations which state match venues must be 200 kilometers or less away from the airport. However, CAF are said to have approved the change, which seems surprising given it is a breach of their own regulations. The laws also state that the venue has to be named 10 days before a knockout encounter. As such, Brazilians that Sundown's management are not best pleased with the situation and have written a complaint to CAF. And the South African Premier Soccer League, the PSL, will de- deliberate on Mamelodi Sundowns' case regarding Wayne Arense on Friday. Sundowns have been found guilty of fielding Arense when he was ineligible to play against Bidvers Vets in their one-all draw early this season. Arense was not part of the team but replaced the injured Tapelo Morena and went straight to the starting lineup. The Brazilians, the Sundowns, were found guilty last week. PSL prosecutor Nandi Becker. The matter is set down for the 12th, 12th of April, which is this coming Friday, for argument as far as sanction is concerned. The, at the outset of this matter, when it appeared the first time, I was at pains to inform my DC chairman and the members of the DC that this is potentially an urgent matter because it looked at that stage as if it would have an impact on um, the top end of the league. 
um, at the end of the season. As, as you would be aware from last season with Ajax, this time of the season there's always a problem up there and there's a problem at the bottom as such. So those are the matters where resources are thrown at to the best of my ability during those periods as such. And the chairman of the league, Ivan Koza, suggested that the league should have the full-time prosecutor. Becker has been a part-time prosecutor for the league in the last six years. The prosecutor says the league will make a decision regarding that. The chairman has already addressed the issue of a full-time prosecutor or additional hands as such. That's an administrative decision, and that is you know, something that a decision that will probably, hopefully, be taken by ESCO and due course as such. I've tried to explain to you how it's come about. It wasn't by design or the fact that I'm just not doing my job. You ask whether we sit over weekends. We do not sit over weekends. We generally sit from 6 o'clock in the, in the evening until the matter is finished, which is sometimes 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. All right? The next day we go to work and we do a full-time job, job as well. In, in, in some instances where I anticipate that the matter is going to take quite a while, depending on the availability of my chairman and DC members, we will start at 2 o'clock in the afternoon like we, we scheduled to do on Friday because it may take longer than that. So all those factors are taken into consideration. On to rugby news, Prebok 7's forward Zane Davids will undergo shoulder surgery today and has been ruled out of the last three tournaments of the World Rugby 7 Series. A 22-year-old Davids injured his shoulder in training in Hong Kong last week and had to return to South Africa before the start of the Hong Kong 7s, where the Blitzbox finished in 7th position. The injury comes at a bad time for the Blitzbox as their two worst results of the season in Las Vegas and Hong Kong happened in Davids's absence. But there was good news on the injury front too, with confirmation that regular captain Philip Sneiman, the experienced Cecil Africa and young guns JC Pretorias and Mfundon Lovu are all available for selection for the final two tournaments in the series in London on the 25th and the 26th of May and Paris on the 1st and the 2nd of June. All of them are in the final stages of rehabilitation at the team's home base in Stellenbosch in Cape Town. Finally, with cycling news, Australia's Mark Renshaw will continue his comeback for Dimension Data at the one-day Shelder Bridge in Belgium today, where the team will be led by Edvard Boasson-Hagen and sprinter Ryan Gibbons. Dimension Data will only have two wins to their name this season. Boasson-Hagen's time trial victory at the Volta a la Comunitat, Valenciana and Giancomo Nizolo's sprint win on the final stage of the Tour of Omam. But we'll hope for better in the coming weeks with Shellsbridge acting as a warm-up race for the weekend's Perry Roba, where Boisson Hagen finished with fifth in 2016. Dimension Danta for the 2019 Shellsbridge, Edward Boisson Hagen, Ryan Gibbons, Reynald Jansen van Rensbeck, Mark Renshaw, Julian Vermont, Jane Thompson, and Rasmus Tiller. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the sour. The African Union says it's closely monitoring developments in Libya. And the DRC's new president faces criticism over comments about the previous administration. Our shortwave transmitter has been temporarily disabled. Stay tuned to Channel Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. We will inform you as soon as our shortwave broadcast is restored. And that wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magadza and Tutung Gobeni, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. And taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Vicky Sampson with a song titled African Dream.